Stand by for a start. Racing. At $210,000 at Isella Gun Down. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. And this podcast, as always, is brought to you by our fantastic sponsors, IRT and Stable Financial. Joining me on today's episode to discuss all things racing and breeding with a bit of an international flavour today is Pete Toomey from Wattle Bloodstock. Pete, hello to you as always, my friend. Hi, Shark. Thanks for having me along. I think since last time we spoke, there's been a few changes around in, in Asia and Australia. So, yeah, great to get back on and, and have a chat. Yeah, what better time to talk about it and what better guest than today's guest, Tim Fitzsimmons, Singapore's leading trainer, client of Wattle Bloodstock, and a man who can probably not only shed some light on the the changes that have been uh, been delivered to Singapore racing in 2023, but... I guess to look back and, and get a bit of a feel for what Singapore racing's been like at its peak. Tim, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. Obviously, it's been a, a bloody tumultuous time for everybody involved in Singapore racing in, in 2023, whether you've been uh, on the ground as a participant or you're an agent, Pete, from afar trying to sell horses in there or associated businesses that, that go along with the racing scene in Singapore. But before we get into that in more detail, uh, Pete, can you fill us in on how you and Tim started working together? Yeah, thanks, Shark. Um, yeah, when I was working with uh, Inglis up there, I was based in Singapore 2010 to 2014. So I think at that stage, Tim was working with Cliff Brown and working his way up to be Cliff's assistant. Um, and yeah, Cliff was someone who loved travelling down to the yearling sales and as the representative for Singapore, you know, I used to look after Cliff and we sort of built a, a good bond. Cliff had come down to the sales, look at horses and even, you know, need to duck back to Singapore to um, train them on the weekend and leave me in charge of doing some bidding and um, sending the horses from then up to Brett Kavanaugh. And uh, I, I think I only had a very minor play in them, but yeah, there was some pretty handy horses at that stage in in Cliff's yard, like Zach Spirit and Zach Carcer and, and and Tim was part of the team that was getting those horses ready for the races and competing at sort of Singapore Group 1 level. So that's where I met Tim um, and, yeah, I guess built up the relationship through through Cliff. And then eventually, I, yeah, when, when Cliff made the call to move back to Australia and Tim stepped up, um, yeah, we sort of decided to pull our knowledge together and, um, really, yeah, Tim just knock it out of the park in training-wise in, in Singapore and, yeah, combine that with my work back down here in Australia and trying to identify suitable horses to, to head up to his stable. Tim, because there's no breeding industry in Singapore, it, it's all outsourced, isn't it? Every horse that, that races there has to come from somewhere. Uh, what's appealing for you about the Australian thoroughbred? Um, I think they've just always worked up here. You know, they're durable with our climate up here, um, you know, they're used to hot summers in Australia and it's just location obviously as well. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of sprint races up here. So there's plenty of speed in Australian horses and it's obviously being from Australia, it's a lot easier for me to, uh, to buy from Australia as well. Not to say that we don't buy from other places, but 
predominantly Australian bred horses and New Zealand, you know. What about the the aspect of using an agent? A lot of trainers like using blood stock agents just for, you know, that second view. They've got their own thoughts. They'll do their own sort of lists and then bounce it off somebody they trust. Uh, do you operate like that? Do you like getting around the yearling sales and, and having a look at horses? Uh, well, you can ask Pete. I don't have a high attention span at horse sales. Um, <laughs> and that's probably one of the main reasons why uh, he appealed to me. Uh, he does all the work and then I come in and look at about, you know, he's probably short list of about 20. And it seems to have worked. Um, we've had a lot of success in a, in a short time. It's that trust element, Pete. It's a big factor, isn't it? And, and knowing your client and knowing what they want you to do for them and what, what the end result's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we sit back and, I guess, assess what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, you don't get it right every time, but you, you hope um, it's not just me picking a horse that I think is going to be suitable. It's going to be one that's suited to Tim, the way he trains his horses. And even yeah, in the, the last couple of years, we've gone back and assessed, you know, what are the best horses in his stable? Um, you know, what are their bloodlines? What are they, what's, is there something confirmationally that um, seems to really excel in his training regime? And, yeah, that we've adapted that to, you know, particularly at the two-year-old sales last year, going and buying a particular horse that has worked well for us. So we've, we've sort of know, uh, Tim, obviously you're an Australian, but what's your backstory? You've been in Singapore since 2007, which I was only saying to my wife, we, we lived in the UK at that point. It's, what is it now, 16 years ago, which seems, if my math's right off the top of my head, that's a bloody long time ago uh you've obviously liked it up there you've stayed for long enough but what did you do what were you doing before you moved to singapore yeah it definitely wasn't the intention to be here for 16 years um i started off with with jim conlon um and then i left jim's and worked for quite a few different trainers uh worked for bart for a little bit craig urell um, i worked for lloyd for a little bit and then ended up back with jim as his uh foreman and then uh, Jim Jim got suspended, so I was sort of up in the air where I would go. And he was friends with Cliff, so just the, how the how it ended up, uh, I ended up with Cliff at Flemington, and we were only there for about six months. And I he knew I wanted to travel. I was sort of planning to go over to England and do that sort of uh, that sort of scene over there. And then he got the license to train here. And I didn't even have a passport at the time. And he said, do you want to come up and be my assistant? I had to look up Singapore on the on the map and uh, came up. And I thought I'd give it, you know, one or two years. And then, yeah, I just fell in love with the place and been here ever since. And since then, they've all gone home and I'm the only, the last man standing. So what's the best part of, of living and, and working, whether it's racing or other, in Singapore? What, what have you enjoyed the most? I think from a trainer's point of view, it's the lifestyle. Um, we actually have a life here. You know, at home, it, the hours that you work and the travel to the races. You know, we race, well, we race once a week now. It used to be twice a week, but there's no travel. We're all on the same same track. Um, we start at, you know, humane hours. The track opens at six. The weather's nice. Um yeah, I just think it's a it's it's a great place to train. It's a great place to bring up a family. It's safe. It's clean. Yeah, so I you know I, I've 
I just fell in love with it from day one and you know I had no intention to leave probably the the one place I, I would love to have got to eventually would be Hong Kong um, but uh, yeah we're gonna have to go back to Australia first to, to, to get there What's a day at the races like in, in Singapore? And, and I'd sort of be interested, I think most people would be since the announcement that things are ending uh, up there next year. Has the race day experience changed and and what was it like at its peak? Look, obviously the crowds have probably dropped off a little bit. Um, since the announcement, the crowds have probably bumped up again uh, mm. with people obviously trying to get there before it does close. But it's... Uh, it's an interesting place. Like it, it's a, it's different to Australia in the fact that we don't have that sort of glamour side, but there is plenty of excitement. The the locals get right into, into their racing. Um, yeah. So it has its own, you know, people that come up from Australia, they love the race day experience. It's, it's, it's all access, you know, there's no, you can't come down here into the parade ring and, you know, you can bring guests and they can get really up close and personal with the horses, which a lot of my owners comment, sometimes you don't get that experience in Australia. So yeah, all in all, I think it's a, you know, it's a great place to, great place to train, great place to own horses. It's really affordable. Um, that's always been really attractive to, to international owners. Pete, surely you bought the glamour of the races when you were up there and, and doing your best up in Singapore. <laughs> um absolutely and, and yeah it's just <laughs> the race day experience um yeah it was and, and probably is still um fantastic by world standards um where yeah cliff went um yeah, cliff's training up there we we um he sourced actually a horse uh, called mesh maker out of south australia which i put a few expats in and um, he got along to a Singapore Derby and, and the fun to be participating in those big races on those big days was phenomenal. Um, and yeah, Tim can say, you know, that 2010 to 2015 when, you know, Rocketman was running and those horses were coming in from Hong Kong and places like that. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, obviously prize money has dropped off a little bit, but still, you know, it, it was only in May early on this year I, I went up to see Tim and um, his owners, Glenn Whittenbury, was in town and um, lots of people were there for, for the Cranji Mile, still worth a million Singapore dollars. So there is still these big feature races which can pull the big um, crowds in and people will travel up there. And I think for a number of expats, Singapore is such a great stopping point on the way to Europe or on the way to... Uh, other places up to Japan or wherever you're going, um, it'll be yeah, it will be sad for it to to lose that. But those stopovers on that way through, you, know, you get out of particularly at you know May, June, July. There's some great racing on in Singapore, and it's pretty miserable in certain places of Australia. Um, so I always use that as the yeah, great time of year to get up to Singapore and get some warmth and go along to the races. And it was always pretty good fanfare the owner's room's pretty well set out um you know when i was living and working up there full time to go along every sunday to the owner's room you're catching up with everyone it's a small knit community as far as what tim was saying all the trainers all the same place you know trials on certain days you could get around and see the people you needed to relatively quickly but it was pretty much just smiles everywhere you mentioned Rocketman. He he really was Singapore racing in many ways, wasn't he? For 
for probably three or four seasons. He was just a phenomenal sprinter. He had international success at Hong Kong. He went to he went to Maidan as well, did Dubai off the top of my head and, and won races there. And he competed in Japan. Like that. For a horse like Rocketman to represent Singapore, what did that mean for the jurisdiction at the time? And and that was really the era of like the, the big money Chris Fly sprint and the gold cup, wasn't it? It, it was when everything was absolutely pumping. At, at that time, that was yeah, that was the height of Singapore racing for sure. And he was he was a cult hero up here. And you know, if you want to track the decline, it probably starts from when he um you know, it was still good for quite a few number of years after he stopped racing, but it was probably a slow decline over the years. Um, and then when they did get rid of the international races, um, you know, obviously that affected the, the the visitors we had and the crowd numbers. And, you know, there was, or, there was already worrying signs, but at the same time, there was it's still good racing, you know, week to week. The prize money was still there. So, yeah, it's just, it's just such a shame what's happened. It's amazing thinking back to yeah the, the effect that Rocketman had, and I, I remember it was him and another horse better than ever that were just they just won multiple races in in a row. That at that point the the turf club reduced the minimum bet, so essentially you were getting a dollar twenty was sort of the the lowest the odds could get, and wow. I think the club were losing money because people were just loading up on Rocketman. A dollar twenty was great odds. <laughs> so they, they had to drop it down and it's yeah, it's stayed there since then, which is I think a dollar oh six, I think is the lowest now. So so they weren't losing, but dollar twenty on Rocketman in a you know, a cringy A against whoever was in Singapore was, you know, one of his lead up races to a to go to Dubai was yeah, it was they just blew out the whole pool. Yeah, well he was undefeated domestically. He never he never got beaten in a domestic Singapore race. I think it was seventeen starts, seventeen wins. Amazing, absolutely amazing. God bless those loopholes. We all enjoy them while they're there, don't we? But yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't last forever. <laughs> no, they don't last. Don't last. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK, and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. Pete, Tim was saying, I guess, the Australian horse and how it suited Singapore racing. And I get probably why it suits Asian racing, really, the, the toughness and durability. But... Are they the style of horses that you look for to trade up there? And when you're looking at a, a yearling, how how can you sort of assess that? How do you assess toughness and, and durability in a horse that hasn't raced? Um, yeah, it's attitude for me has probably been a, a huge one with the horses or the, the better horses that I've sent up to Singapore. Um, 
generally, you know, going to the yearling sales, haven't had the budget to, you know, buy the I'm Invincibles or the real top proven size. But the ones sort of just a, a touch below that or one that the market's taken a set against like a, a, a young stallion, um, happy to take a punt on those. Um, and that probably goes back, yeah, to the, the, the first horse that, Tim and I bought together when when Tim started training was a horse called Relentless by Hallowed Crown. Uh, bought a horse for Cliff by Hallowed Crown, which went up there and was shown a bit of ability. And Hallowed Crown was just on the nose with the market, even though he, he hadn't done anything wrong down here in Australia. Um, and Relentless was just a horse that needed a little bit of time, but confirmationally was correct. Um, he wasn't going to be a real sharp two-year-old, but we just thought he'd be a really nice miler at three-year-old plus. So you can generally get those type of horses um, to, you know, head up to Asia, particularly for, for Singapore. Um, a number of the other ones that seem to work in, in Tim's yard and did for Cliff, you know, nice, big, strong horses by good size. You know, I think at the two-year-old sales last year, Tim and I, the six we bought, you know, I think Spirit of Boom, um, Smart Missile, needs further starcraft sort of those size that are proven but not might not be considered as sexy you know um and i guess that the beauty for for tim and his owners is when we're turning up to a sale and you're aiming to buy you it's rare that you, the owners or the trainers in singapore are looking to syndicate it um it, it's mostly one or two owners in each horse so you just go there by going to buy a racehorse. You don't have to buy something. You need to resell, and mm. I, I think that is and has been a, an advantage when you when you're buying for Asia. So, given, I guess, given the state of racing in Singapore at the moment, having Wheelhouse up there or Cyclone as he's now known, I believe, what what sort of money is he racing for at the moment? Um. So he he raced in a race. Uh, worth 300,000 at his last start. Um, then he races on this weekend in the QE2 Cup, which is 300. And then his last run this prep will be the Gold Cup, which is a million. So the opportunity for earning is still really strong. Really strong. You know, our maidens are still 75,000 Sing dollars, which is about 86,000 Aussie at the moment with the exchange rate. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's it's incredible prize money. So... And I think that's probably a, a point that a lot of people since the announcement have just assumed that, oh, well, everyone's getting out. There's no benefit of being there. But with that sort of prize money, you know, it, there might only be 12 months left, but it could be a very profitable 12 months. Oh, it is for sure. And I mean, that's the appeal of Singapore racing for, from a horse trainer's point of view and also an owner. You know, you can run a business here that is very profitable and you can make a lot of money. You know, I know how hard things are back at home at the moment with work cover and, you know, all the rising costs of staff. And that, that's always been a great appeal for for Singapore racing. You know, we all love training, but we also want to build a future for our families. And this place has always been really profitable for both owner and trainer. So, Tim, when the announcement came that the Singapore government was going to end racing um, as of October 2024, it, it came as a massive shock to everyone back in Australia and New Zealand and, and everyone in the in the area, basically, that's into horse racing. But were there any signs internally from a participant point of view that things were shaky? 
there's always been frustrations about what the place could have been. Um, you know, there was this, there was always signs that it was on the decline, and why is it on the decline? You know, it's such a it's it's basically a, a product which, in my opinion, you can't you can't stuff it up really. Um, and we never thought it would ever close. Um, so when it did, when the announcement came, it was you know more of a shock for us than it was for anybody. You know, um, we always knew we had our struggles, but we never thought you would close a place that was only built 20 years ago. And if you come up and see the facilities that we have, you know, that'd be the envy of the world, you know. So still still every day I drive in, I, I just wonder, you know, wonder why and how you could close something. And turnover is really good at the moment, you know. So, yeah, just baffling. I'm assuming the initial reaction is one of anger from participants, you know, that, that this is happening and, and a lot of people have basically made their life in Singapore and this is their, you know, their commitment that they're there to, to keep this thing going and to be involved in the industry there. But since the announcement, have tempers sort of subsided somewhat? Uh, I wouldn't, no, not really. Um, yeah, it's, the, 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 it's not a great place to be at the moment um the feeling here you know you you still can take a step back and still do your job and train and you still get enjoyment you probably the race day you, you sort of let yourself forget about it for those few hours but then you roll into the next week and you know you the same challenges with that we have with the club at the moment um trying to organize the closure it's really frustrating um and just really disappointing i think you sort of go through different stages of anger and then you realize, well, there's nothing you can sort of do. You've got to try and make the best of the situation. Um, and as you mentioned, there's still good races here. And that's why whilst a few trainers sort of have left, there's still plenty of trainers and plenty of horses here um, and plenty of people that I'm sure will stay till, till the end. And what about staff? You know, staffing is such a big problem in Australia at the moment, you know, off discussed topic with trainers and, and, you know, breeding farms everywhere. It's we're all fighting for staff. Have staff stuck with the sport, or have they have they started to bail? No, so far most of them have stayed. Um, we don't have the same same problems with staff that they do in Australia. We have our you know we have issues with uh, foreign worker quota, but it's a lot easier than 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 in Australia. Most of our track riders are from Malaysia. Um, so those guys with the exchange rate, most of them will stay till the end because they're earning Singapore dollars um, and then they'll head back to Malaysia. And some will head to, a lot of them are going to Hong Kong to be track riders over there or Chongfa. Um, but we don't have the, we don't have the problems to the same extent that they do in Australia with staff, that's for sure. Pete, from a a broader view and from an Australian point of view, losing Singapore's, it really hurts the Asian racing scene. But what about the scale of the impact for Australia? What does it mean for us as a producer of horses and an exporter? I think in the, the yearling sales, it's probably minimal. Um, but yeah, we've certainly seen the impact in sort of the tried horse market. Um, a lot of horses that have only been lightly raced and might not be Hong Kong standard. Um, being sold up to Singapore, you know, in the last sort of 18 months to two years. And that's become, you know, through those digital sales, 
quite a, a, a big market for people to off, offload those horses and people in Singapore are happy to pay between sort of 80 and 150,000 for those types of horses. So I've seen certainly that market has dropped off considerably the last six months since the announcement. Um, yeah, we've only had one of the two-year-old sales in Australia so far, uh, being the English uh, ready to race sale. And yeah, I think the impact of that was was pretty obvious. You know, a 51% clearance rate um, without Macau and without Singapore. Um, that middle market in that 80 to 150,000, yeah, was just decimated really. You know, it, if the horses were Hong Kong or Australian quality, they were selling well, but below that, um, as I sort of spoke to earlier, those horses that um, might not fit into that bracket in Singapore were happy to, to pick up and you could make um, good money with and were profitable for Singapore owners. They're not there at the moment. Um, I, I don't think we, we're not going to lose the talent, you know, people like Tim, et cetera, um, hopefully move on to, to other things and that talent stays within the global industry wherever it is. But at the moment, yeah, these people, understandably so, just aren't investing. They're sort of, you know, the the numbers in Singapore haven't, the amount of horses haven't really dropped off, you know, notice, noticeably in the last few months. I think there was only, there's still 650 horses in training. So that'll be whittled down, I would have thought, over the next 10 months, but there's just nothing being imported. Um, and I think even Malaysia, a, a small market, uh, that export from Australia to Malaysia is probably going to drop off too, given the amount of horses that are going to flood from Singapore up into Malaysia in the next sort of 10 months. Yeah. And then we wonder what the impact will be on production here in Australia. If you're looking at, you know, X amount of horses that end up being traded onto Singapore and Malaysia and well, Macau sort of got a question mark over it too at the moment, it seems uh, whether that, hurts breeders whether they start to look at well it's a tough yielding market it's a tough sales market it's a tough trade market do you think we'll see you know, stock numbers start to to drop off a little bit in australia uh, I, the the tough thing i guess for breeders is having that foresight to be so far in advance you know ma ma making their breeding plans two years ago for next year's yielding sales um and, and then the next year's two-year-old sales, I'd say the amount of pin hookers at next year's yearling sales is most likely going to drop off. Um, there's still demand for those two-year-olds and there will be, you know, still markets in Asia, particularly Hong Kong so strong. I mean, I, not only um, looking at both the Singapore market, but um, I do a bit up to Hong Kong too and trying to buy, you know, trial winners or, two start to win winners out of Australia to go to Hong Kong is extremely difficult at the moment. Um, you know, big syndicates um, and uh, stallion syndicates and, and things like that. And the prices people have paid for yearlings, they simply don't want to give them away. So it's, it's even seen the numbers of horses in Hong Kong drop off a little mm -hmm. bit. They're probably down their populations down about 80 to a hundred. Um, there's the potential of the, maybe the better horses in Singapore um, getting snapped up to go over there, but there's a few hoops to jump through as far as quarantine and vetting and, and things and getting a, a proper protocol. And, and like most markets, I mean, I've sort of the last couple of months sounded out a few um, Hong Kong people about buying some horses from Singapore, but everyone's quite nervous about being the first. 
you know, I think there's there's a chance that you know that a couple might get done in the next few months, and if that happens, then it might make it a little bit easier. People will understand what the process is, but yeah, people are always nervous about being the first mover. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible, long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers, and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. I guess brings us to the question of where these 600 odd horses that are in training in Singapore, where they go, Malaysia, there seems to be a uh, a move to get some of them into that jurisdiction. But but what about back to Australia, Tim? I guess it depends on where they sort of fit into the to the standard where they what level they slot into. What what standard is the average horse in Singapore these days if you compared it back to an Australian level? Probably hard to judge. Um, like obviously our top end horses. I think they'd probably be, you know, listed level, like the really top ones. But it's, it's. I suppose it's really hard to tell until you, until you come back. Cliff took quite a few horses back. Um, they all won races. They probably went in a little bit high in the ratings and had to drop a little bit before they started to win. Um, but he did go to Melbourne as well, so he went somewhere, you know, with a really strong racing scene. You know, I've looked into. We haven't decided where we're going to go yet. Um, you know, open to any sort of opportunities, but somewhere like Perth, you know, might be somewhere where they can be a little bit more competitive. So yeah, but we'll see how we go. And then there's the the, the issue of getting them back here. I guess is uh, it seems to be shipment numbers at the moment aren't as strong as what they'll need to be if uh, trainers like yourself are looking to relocate a whole team. Yeah, look, I think I still think the majority of horses will go to Malaysia. Um, those older sort of horses, um, that, that's where they'll end up. That's where they've always ended up. You know, even even when we were going well up here. So it'll just be it'll be interesting to see how many go back to Australia. I think there'll be uh, a lot of retired horses sent back, and then there'll be a select group of the top end and maybe some youngsters go back. But I don't think the numbers will be. Um, extremely high. We're probably down to about 500 horses now, I would say. Um, and there's, there's probably 80 booked on over the next two months to go to Malaysia. So I think it'll be a slow process over the next 12 months with horses consistently going out each month. And what about yourself, Tim? What's the plan? What's your immediate plan for the remaining 12 months and then beyond that? Immediate plan is to stay here. Uh, we've got kids in school. Um, my daughter's in year 12, so she's going to finish school here. Um, but 
yeah, we're open to any opportunities. We've looked into a few different places in Australia, but not sold on anything yet. Um, so, yeah, probably have more idea, you know, January, February next year. In the meantime, I think we can use the the form guide or the, the, the tip that you're staying on there. You must have some pretty nice horses. So for punters back here, we might just be uh, circling your name in the form guide and, and uh, following in while you make hay for the last 12 months. Yeah, I think we've got, we've, you know, Limsco, the Osco has been a bit of a, a bogey horse for us. I think I've run second to him in group ones, you know, three or four times. Um, so hopefully uh, Daniel Ma has big plans for him and can take him away. Um, but the three-year-old and four-year-old series next year, I've got some really nice horses that will target at those races that I think, um, you know, will be a really good chance. Gentlemen, it's been a really interesting conversation hearing about trade to, to Asia and Singapore and the unfortunate demise of Singapore racing. And, and Tim, I'm sure I speak for everybody listening that we wish you only the best for, for the remaining uh, tenure in Singapore. Let's hope there's many winners there and let's hope, uh, wheelhouse now cyclone can can put the big name up in lights there and and continue that great story cheers thanks thanks Mick. thanks pete for joining me and thanks tim we'll talk to you both soon thanks shark much appreciated and thank you for listening to the shortlist and remember if you'd like to talk bloodstock with an expert make sure you visit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an fbaa member 